Welcome everyone to episode 38 of What's That Sound podcast. My name's Stu Watts and today I talked with Anna Laverty, who is a producer and engineer from Melbourne, Australia. She's also the founding member of the Music Producers and Engineers Guild of Australia. In this episode, we talked about how she was an assistant engineer for around 10 years and some of the skills she obtained during that period. We talk about the importance of listening and artist comfort in the studio. And we also discuss some of the findings of the inaugural survey conducted by the Music Producers and Engineers Guild of Australia, and also how you can join up. If you can do us a favor and share this podcast on your socials or in a conversation, that just helps us spread the word and get it out to as many people as possible. Make sure that you are following or subscribed on your podcast platform that you're checking this out on. And if you have any suggestions or any guests' suggestions or any questions about the podcast, you can email us at podcast.whatsthatsound at gmail.com. The links are all in the show notes for everything that you might want to know more about, anything discussed in this episode that you want links to. It's all in the show notes. But for now, let's jump into it. Episode 38 of What's That Sound with Anna Laverty. You're listening to What's That Sound with your host, Stu Watts. Welcome everyone to another episode of What's That Sound podcast. My name's Stu Watts and today I am joined by Anna Laverty. Anna, welcome to the podcast today. Hello, Stu. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're very welcome. Um, we've been trying to tee this up for a long time, but you've been overseas and now you're back. Yep. Um, but uh, tell right. us a little bit about what you were doing overseas and then we'll we'll jump back into to the about you, but yeah. Yeah, um, I have just been, you know, spreading my wings. Um, yep. ha- I had a few opportunities over in England and Scotland and so I we sort of went over and based ourselves there. Um, and I was able to get into a few studios and work with a few, um, clients from over there, which was really, really cool. Um, and I also did a, I did like a production workshop at, um, a studio in Scotland for women and non-binary producers, which was amazing. Fantastic. And then, uh, and then the last thing that I did before I came back was I participated in a UK music producers guild, um, writing camp. It was their first ever writers camp that they've organized. So I was one of the Ah, participants at Sweet. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, nice one. Well, um, we'll, we'll take it back, um, to even before, you know, you became a, an engineer or anything like that. Where did music come into your life? I have just always been a huge music lover. I just, um, nothing has ever spoken to me in my life like music does and that was just evident from really, really early on, you know, primary school kind of um, stuff where people would comment on my love of music. Mm. Um, and then and then high school, I tried to do music at high school and I sort of I, I wasn't very good at the theory, so I didn't mm-hmm. stick with it in year 11 and 12, but I did do... Um, I did, I did learn guitar, so I learned um, Spanish flamenco guitar. Oh, wow. And then um, I 
Uh, but I'm left-handed and no one ever flipped my guitar upside down. So I'm not that, <laughs> I'm not that good. I just, I gave it a go. Um, and then in year 11 and 12, I did drama and I got so into, um, I was t- obviously didn't want to be an actor, but I um, took over the roles of audio and, yep. you know, lighting and sound basically. Yeah, right. Yep. Yep, yeah, cool. And so when you were, you know, growing up in those formative years, what sort of music were you listening to most of the time? Um, most of the time, really, really intense kind of pop music. So yeah. I had a phase, I had a phase in high school, like Spice Girls and um, I yeah. had a phase where I loved Hanson and, and all that kind of stuff. But then yeah. when I was like around 14, you know, when you actually start having real fe- uh, feelings and emotions about sort of more <laughs> yeah. grown up things, um, I got two older brothers and one of them had um, Nirvana um, unplugged in New York and I got, awesome. and I got so into that um and then that obviously led me to to their proper albums and then um my musical journey went from there yeah wicked I mean I feel like uh people of our age uh you know that were into like that alternative music there was just something about it that didn't like exist anywhere else you know, it was just like yeah. it was noisy. I was into punk rock. I was into like fast stuff. And there was nothing that like yeah. nothing that like existed that was that sounded anything like that. So that that's really cool. Do you remember listening to any of like production based stuff, or was it was it all Hugely. just like yeah. Yeah, so like if you, if you want to talk about actually where my musical um, love comes from, it's probably my dad's record collection mm-hmm. and it's the classics of that era. So I was a huge, huge, huge Beatles fan mm-hmm. um, from when I was a kid. Um, I love the sound of like um, John Lennon's solo record mm. and um, really into Elton John and... Um, Oh, I'm just trying to think of what other records he had there. There was so many that I just became obsessed with, and of course yeah. it was on vinyl. My dad's a hi-fi guy, so they always it always sounded good in my house. Yeah. And yeah. I have I have very very distinct memories of sitting there on the beanbag with headphones on, mm-hmm. li- listening to these records and reading the liner notes and being like produced by, produced by, engineered by. Yeah. And that's how I found out what this what this job even was. Yeah, right. Um, yeah. And so so that they were my earliest. Um, you know, like musical memories and influences. Yeah. And do you remember like what what it was about those sorts of albums or, or the production that was like standing out to you? What were you listening out for, that sort of thing? Um, oh, it's hard to say. I think really a lot a lot of it is the arrangement of them and the, the form of the songs, like the classic kind of pop songs. Um, you know, and I, I think even now when I'm producing records, I do sometimes maybe fall back on the, on those more like traditional arrangements and stuff, Mm -hmm. because it's what's in my, it's what's in my DNA from what I, what I grew up listening to. But, um, I think, you know, is it, is it too cheesy to say the warmth? I love the warmth in those records and, um, I love the fact that there were mistakes in the performances and they stayed in there mm. and we all know them and we don't think of them as mistakes anymore because they just make the songs. Yep, for sure. Um, 
Yeah, so all of that stuff. And and honestly, like, this is something that has stayed with me forever is just the feeling in songs and performances um, is the, it's king. It's the most important yeah. thing, you know. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's definitely something about, you know, honesty in those sorts of, uh, like, records for, from from back then where, like you said, they're leaving mistakes in, but it's 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 just about the feeling that the feeling of the songs speaks. Like these days, I don't know how many artists. I mean, this is a ridiculous thing to say, but generally in the pop world and and, and you know the the processed music and all that, there's not as much mm. like focus as much on the feeling of songs and the feeling of music and the way that the chords come together to create a sort of a, a feeling. Um, but I mean, that's a, again, it's kind of ridiculous because I, what do I know? I'm not in those sessions, but, but I feel like the, the, the emotion just, just. No, but we yeah. did all, yeah, we, we did all just get to watch, um, we did all just get to watch Get Back, which was like, mm. you know, this nine hour epic documentary of the making of, um, that Beatles record. And it just, um, I was just so happy watching that because mm. it was basically like being at work. Yeah. It yeah. was like being <laughs> in the studio with any other band. It yeah. just happened to be the Beatles. And so it, for me it was so important to realise that they're just, you know, obviously they're just people but they're those records that mean so much to me and we all put so much weight on mm. was just made by people like us in the room at the mm, same time. They just happen to be a phenomenal songwriter. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And yeah. so that was really, I loved watching that documentary. Oh, I, and it was so funny because I watched it with a few other people who were just like, oh, my God, this is so boring. And I thought, wow, <laughs> you don't I'm get the it. right person. You don't get it. Yeah, I'm yeah. the right person in my job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah absolutely. Yeah. There's a, there's another one with um, Paul McCartney um, on Disney yeah. with Rick Rubin. That's that's awesome yeah. too where he breaks <laughs> yeah, down some is, of the it's songs. Good. It's so cool. I, I actually have to say like um, I think I realised I wanted to be a producer from watching music documentaries yeah, um, yeah when I was growing up like I'd watch them and I'd be like I just want to do that all day mm. I just want to mm-hmm. sit there and be that guy in that chair yeah. I don't even know what it's called but that's what I want to do so true well yeah. talk us through like how you started to move towards that then well it, it almost it was such a natural progression and it was when I was still a child so I was about 14 when I realized I wanted to be a producer or a sound engineer actually is what I always mm-hmm. said I wanted to do um and yeah it was that drama class where I did the sound and then I went mm-hmm. to like a drama university the West Australian Academy of Performing Arts and I did all the sound for like theater shows and we had our own radio station where we did and we you know, had to create adverts and do Foley and all that kind of stuff. And then we had to specialise so we would pick which area of sound we wanted to go into and I chose production. I was going to choose Mm -hmm. live sound because I love live music, absolutely love live music, but I went and did some work experience in live sound and I was like too too hard, like Mm -hmm. too um, honestly for me there was a few things but, probably the main probably the main one was lifting stuff i mean yeah. at this at this stage i'm like a 17 18 year old girl going volunteering going and doing work experience at festivals and it was not a super supportive yeah. environment yeah. so yeah. uh yeah i was like i'm going to go and record bands in studios which yeah, i, I which was I mean, my 
other even half, yeah. I, I can relate on a, another level is is mm. the the more like go get her like you you just got to do it you just got to get into it that's not me either and so I can relate mm. in in on that side of things where you yeah. know I'm a, I'm a gentler person um, yeah. and you know there's something about the studio that's a warm environment it's like you're like an you know, you're enabling people's creativity where that's not, it's not the same in a live environment. So that's how I can relate to what you just said. Yeah, totally. And the other thing that really stands out for me now is the pressure of getting it right live mm. because you don't get another go at it. It's like you just have to get it right when mm. you're mixing a band live, you know, because mm. it's mm. gone. Mm. Um, so that, yeah, I, I, I definitely, um, chose right when I chose mm-hmm. production and I moved into that and I started going and doing work experience in studios because mm-hmm. you had to do mm-hmm. like all this secondment as part of your uni course. So I went and did that and I absolutely loved it. And those people, those guys that I went and did work experience with, they turned me on to a load of other new music as well that I didn't know of because my dad wasn't into it or, mm-hmm. um, you know, whatever. And then I went, that's when I went through my like Britpop phase, you know, I was massive Oasis and Blur and Pulp and Primal Scream, all those bands. Um, yeah, nice. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, love it. And so and then, you know, obviously that was your learning or we're always learning, but your early learning stages. Yeah. Then where, how did that progress into you, you know, working more in, in, in the uh, in environment, I guess? Yeah. So that was I, <laughs> I, start, I just started early. So I graduated from university when I was 19 um, and I think it was two weeks after my last class I moved to London. Um, so I had been managing bands and putting on gigs and shows around Perth at the time and um, I was like could, just could not wait to spread my wings and get out of there and mm-hmm. I moved straight to London with a band that I was managing at the time. Um, the singer w- is actually my husband now but at go. the time he was just my boyfriend. Um, and so we moved to London. I had $500 which I thought was loads of money Um <laughs> And I got there and quickly realised I had to get a job like before Friday or what, yeah. I would have to come home. Yeah, wow. <laughs> and so I did. I went and got a job. I just got a job working in um, like a record store, which was amazing, yeah. working at Virgin Megastore in, in Angel Islington. Oh, wow. um, and Paul, my partner, got a job at HMV on Oxford Street and that's and basically that's where we met and another person in the band, Maria, she got a job at the bookstore on Oxford Street. So we were working at these huge, huge record stores full of people in bands. And yeah. then that became our, you know, that became our scene. We we had like 300 pals and I started a club night in Soho booking bands and it was just packed every <laughs> yeah. month because, That's, well, man, what a way one, to do I, it. That's unreal. Yeah. For one, I booked it like the day after payday. So every month, everyone <laughs> had just been paid and they came down and we had like four bands play. And then from there, it was like all these amazing bands were coming and playing at my night. And none, I thought they were all being ignored by the, you know, the music industry. So I started my own mm-hmm. record label and I signed these bands and um, couldn't afford for them to record. So I was like, well, I know how to record. So I turned up in the um, rehearsal room, you know, and recorded them and then I pressed it to vinyl and then we, and then I wow. sold it. I've lost loads of money but it was so much fun. And um, 
That's and then I just I was just booking loads and loads and loads of nights and I was doing the sound at those nights and then after like three years, three or four years, I was like, I really miss being in the recording studio. Mm. And so I took my floppy disk that had my CV on it and I went to the internet cafe and I sent it out to a bunch of studios in London saying, can I come and work for you? And most of them didn't write back and a couple mm. did write back and one in particular that wrote back was Moloko, which is a studio oh, group in awesome. London, and they yeah. said we have a work experience program. It's two weeks. You can come in and do that. So I went down. I learned from the work experience person who was leaving and mm-hmm. they taught me how to like wash tea towels and <laughs> fill up sugar containers and you know all the rest yeah. of it so all I the did awesome that stuff that we do in recording studios yeah yeah and then on the last day <laughs> at um at their Leroy Street studio um I got asked if I wanted to go in the studio and help Ben Hillier, who's a producer who was packing up his studio because he was going to America to do the Depeche Mode record. So he was packing up all of his gear into road cases. So Mm. I went and did that with him and we got on really, really well. And then on the last, so that was the second last day. And then on the last day he said, well, I'm going to be away for six weeks. Um, if I pay you six pounds an hour, will you be the assistant engineer in the studio while I'm gone? And anyone who comes in, you just have to make sure they don't, you know, break or steal anything. And mm-hmm. that was my first job in the studio. Wow. And then when they came back from America, um, I just became their assistant and I worked there with them. And he shared that studio with another producer called Paul Epworth. And so I worked with those yep. guys on the records that they were doing at the time. Yeah. Wow, what an experience. What what do you remember like cuz you would have been seeing so many things for the first time like yeah. from professionals. Do you remember mm. some of those early thoughts that you were having uh, you know in those sessions? Um I'm such a kind of go with it sort of person that I was just I just roll with anything that happens basically, mm-hmm. but I do remember um thinking at the time and and knowing still that all the things that you learn in audio school are great and they're the foundation but you really don't learn how to be a producer until you Mm. get in the room and either watch other people do it or do it yourself like because so much of production and what we do so 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 much of it is about um uh personal interaction and um, being able to sort of read the room really, really Mm. well and work out um, what your next moves are. So Mm. like plugging in microphones and setting them up and putting them in the right place on the snare is kind of important, but Mm -hmm. really what's more important is making sure that like everyone is happy and if they're not happy, like that, they, that you've acknowledged that you know that they're not happy and you're doing everything that you can to make that happen. Yeah, absolutely. And just, you know, the, the general management of time in the studio as well is like, oh, huge. you know, 
It's huge. And, and you're dealing with different personalities each time that you're in the studio. And even within mm-hmm. a band, say there's five people, you could have two of them in the room at one time. That's completely different to the other two being in the room at the one time and they work differently yeah. to the other two. So it's like yeah. you're just constantly figuring stuff out and managing, okay, I got I know this person's really slow at recording so I've got to make mm. them speak, you know, all that sort of stuff. People management, absolutely. Time mm. management, people management, and just like um, energy management. So yep. knowing knowing when to take a break and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. 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 It's yep. huge. It's crazy. Yep. And so, uh, so you, you're assisting. You know, you, you're mm-hmm. you're getting to to like even just talk us a little bit through that, and then what it looked like for you to move on to you know you know doing it yourself. Well, I think I was an assistant for the longest time possible. I just, I kind of really loved the job. Yeah. I loved, I loved assisting. I love working with other people. Um, I love learning from other people, watching how they work. I was actually a really good assistant. Like I was, Mm -hmm. I was able to, um, like, you know, Sorry, that don't mean that to come out um, wrong, but I was really able to know when to speak and when to sh- shut the heck up. Um, yeah. I knew I knew when people needed a cup of tea, and you know, I just I, I was pretty good at reading that. But that was such great training mm-hmm. for now mm-hmm. <laughs> when we can't afford assistance and we have to do all of it. <laughs> yeah, yep. um, yep. so. Um, yeah, that was really great. And then I remember I moved back to Australia because my my boy, the band had broken up and my boyfriend was like, I want to go back to Australia. I need some sun, even though he's from Scotland, lol. Um, so we moved <laughs> back and I said, well, I don't want to go back to Perth because there's no jobs for me um, in mm-hmm. Perth. And so we moved to Melbourne. And I remember saying, because the guy in the studio, the guys in the studio were like, we'll hold your job, you know, like um, see how you go. We'll hold it for a year. Yeah, yeah. And I remember saying to Paul, um, if I'm not working at Sing Sing within a year, I'm coming back to London, you know, whatever, whatever that means. And he was like, yep, fair enough. And then I came to Melbourne, didn't know anyone, went and knocked on the door at Sing Sing and was like, can I have a job? And they said, no, we don't employ anyone. But (laughs) I met Kai and I met Jude and we, you know, it was all, they were lovely and they said, we'll keep you in mind if anything comes up. And then mm-hmm. like literally I think it was within two weeks they started mm-hmm. emailing me and offering me assisting jobs, which awesome. was it was amazing. But I had been engineering a bit in England so I was, yep. it was sort of like starting from zero again yeah, but I did it and back, I yeah. so this is why yeah. this is why my journey is so long because I just kept going back to the start kept going back yeah, to the yeah, start yeah. um and so I came here and I got put on some sessions with Adam Rhodes who's one of the most amazing engineers in this country um and then I got on a session with Stephen Schramm and yep. we have a very very similar sense of humor and so he just kept hiring me Yep. <laughs> and then, and he reminded me of this recently. He said, on your 30th birthday, I said, your birthday present is I'm not hiring you anymore. <laughs> and I was like, well, what do you mean? And he said, you need to start making your own records. You are so past capable of making your own yeah. records. And yep. he, he kicked me out of the nest. Well. And so I, um, and I had been doing this since I was, you know, I went to uni when I was 17 studios yeah, yeah. from when I was 19 and I'm That's 30 now. And he was like, no, nah, you need to yeah. do your own thing. 
And so that's, that was my, I needed someone to, the confidence just wasn't there. Um, even though I was essentially making records and people were just sitting on the couch at the back of the room, not Stephen, but other people, you know, I, I could absolutely do it. I just didn't have the, and I still wasn't calling myself a producer. It wasn't until I got a manager and she started calling me a producer that I was like, oh, maybe I am a producer. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so it took, to it's, a lot, it's been a very, very long journey. Yeah, 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 it's been a very long journey. Well, I yeah. guess at this point we can start, I, I might start rattling off some of the names of the the, the amazing talents that you've worked with. Uh, we've got. Amanda Palmer, we've got Stella Donnelly, Courtney Barnett, Meg Mack, Cam Cope, Paul Dempsey, some amazing names in there, like just mm-hmm. just obviously world-class talents, you know, from Australia, yep. but, you know, uh, you know, and, and they're, they've been, they've been doing this for a long time, all of these, uh, not all of these artists, but a lot of these artists have been doing it for years and years and years. So it's like, you know, to, to be able to work with these sorts of people, uh, it requires them to be able to trust you. And I know you always have to work with them for the first time each time anyway, but you've got mm. return credits, you know, you've been working with some of these artists for long, for a long period of time. So, yeah, you know, talk us through some of that, that I've just, you know, gone through probably the, the period of 10 or so years <laughs> squashed it. Yeah. Into- <laughs> well, I always, I, I would say the biggest, like, boost or the biggest confidence is comes from when you get a return artist because it means they had such a good like they could go with anyone Mm. it means they had such a good experience last time or they trust you so much that they chose to work with you again Mm. and that's like that's that's a pretty big deal Mm. um but I yeah I mean where do I where do I go most of those people you mentioned I think are Australian apart from Amanda Palmer yeah exactly um, yeah so I work uh uh, um, I've worked with all all of those amazing people, and mm-hmm. every time, and often, like you know, I think a lot of them were women as well. I think uh, often when you work with women, they haven't always had such a great experience in the studio before, or ha- haven't always been heard or listened to before. Mm-hmm. And I feel like sometimes when people were, I'm like I said, I'm pretty good listener, mm-hmm. um, and so I think. A lot of people trust that I'm listening to what they're saying mm, and trying mm. their ideas and and all that kind of thing. So that's just in my personality to be to be like that. So, sure. um, yeah, I don't know. And so, that, well, I guess we can talk about maybe what your process looks like. Is there a similar mm. process across different projects with different artists, or do you kind of tailor it towards what that person needs? Yeah, it's definitely tailored, but of course I have like a, I approach everything the same way. And then depending on what happens, I go off in different directions. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, when you've been doing it for a while, um, you're able to, you know, what that, those pathways are because mm-hmm. you just, you've done so, you've been in that situation so many times. So mm-hmm. I guess what I would say is I probably almost always do pre-production Yep. So I like to meet people, hang out, have the big conversation about mu- the music and the songs and what instruments we've got and what tunings we've got and what gear, you know, gear we've got and all the rest of it, what budget we've got, um, yeah. the time, the dynamic between the people in the band. I mm-hmm. like to suss all of that out 
before we go anywhere near a recording studio. Um, and I'm, I'm able to sort of see what the dynamics between the people are and work out any like issues in the band before we go near a studio. Mm. Um, so that's probably the start. And then Mm. I just choose based on the budget and the time the appropriate studios to record at based on what gear we need. Sure. Um, yeah. And, and go so from there basically. Yeah, well, I guess, you know, let's talk about maybe what good sessions look like and then maybe what a not so good session looks like and how you maybe address those se- sessions that are kind of not going the right way. Mm. Well, a good session is when everyone's, pretty prepared but really open to trying new things um it's when everyone is like I don't know everyone's honestly I think just openness is the most important thing like Mm. when you come in you're pretty confident in what you're what you want to do but also like if I suggest something on the fly that you're just happy to try it and see Mm. if it works in the song or not Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Also, I like to foster an environment of everyone listening to everyone else. So if a drummer has an idea, um, we listen to it and we try it. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, because that's how people in the room feel validated and heard and feel like they're part of the thing that we're all trying to create. There's absolutely no point in saying to someone, well, you're the drummer, what do you know about backing vocals? <laughs> because they might have a yeah. very good idea of, yeah. of a backing vocal. Um, particularly because they think in rhythm. So that would be a, an ideal person to have an idea about backing vocals, actually. Great point. Um, thank you. Yeah, I'm a drummer, so, so thank you very much for yeah, that. Yeah, well, there you go. Um, you know, but you just don't know where those ideas are going to come from and they could be something that you're just not seeing at the time. Um and I try to. I know it's a. I know it's like e- way easier said than done. But I do try to remove the egos from the room if possible. Mm. Yeah. Um, well, I think because, um, you know. Yeah. Talking about that, the, the openness and being able to foster the creative environment is what is like the most fun for me in in the recording process is being able to see what people might point out and just. Mm you know, getting the unexpected. I love, I love those sessions where, yeah, we know what song we're doing. We've done the pre-production. We know the song layout. We know what instruments we're using, et cetera, et cetera. But it's so much fun when you just get this, Hey, what if we tried that? And you just go for it for half an hour and then it creates the coolest thing in the whole song. That's right. Things can completely change from what you thought they were going mm-hmm. to be. And to be honest, a lot of that stuff does happen in pre-production so that you mm. don't, cause you know, sometimes when you go on this whole journey and you change things up completely and then two days later, you're like, what the hell were you thinking? <laughs> so you don't want to end up with that on tape and then you got no time. So I do try to do those things in pre-production. Yeah. Um, but I definitely love to do them, you know, yeah, it's yeah. very important. Awesome. Yeah. And so, you know, when you've had some, some times in the studio where you're like, ah, oh, that was, that didn't go kind of the way I hoped. What are those sorts of times? And, you know, how do you kind of navigate them? Um, usually it's a people problem. So, um, a person, a person problem. Mm. There's often like one person who is just not playing ball with the rest of the team and they, 
I can guarantee that it's issue. It's got nothing to do with me. It's got to do with issues that previously existed in the dynamic, and then mm. me being there and maybe giving attention to one more attention to one person than another um, can exacerbate that, or people feeling not heard, mm. or people actually just genuinely really not wanting to be there, but not having the ability. To, to say it mm, and so yeah. sort of like I like to say they're throwing their toys out of the pram so that mm. um, they get kicked out or whatever it may be. Yeah. Yep. It's like I got, I got little kids so I'm aware of this kind of uh, behaviour. true though. I, like, uh, it, yeah, I've, I've it seen is that true. exact I'm thing. not, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, it's absolutely true. <laughs> and, um, and also I, um, you know, again, drama, you're working with a drummer and they're playing this rhythm and you're like, something's not working with the drum, something's not, no, this is great, this is this particular rhythm and it's perfect and blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. It's this or that that's making the problem. No, no, it's definitely where the kick drum's falling and you suggest something and they just will not try it. They will mm-hmm. not try it. Mm-hmm. So it's almost always like a people problem where they they're not happy with because I always say being a producer of like an album or whatever, you become the fifth member of the band or the sixth mm. member of the band mm. for the time that you are in the room. And some of them haven't chosen you. Mm. So say like one True. or two people in the band chose you to be the producer and then there's these other people in the band that are like, I never even wanted you here. Why are you telling me how mm. to play the drums? It's a really valid feeling but for me, who has been asked to come into this dynamic, I can see what Mm. the problem is and I'm trying to fix it, but they aren't playing ball. And that's, Mm. for me, that's like the hardest situation to navigate Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. they just don't want you there. Mm. Um, And so the way that I generally get around that is I take them to the pub or, you know, say that we need to have like a chat and I have to just bring them onto my side. I kill, mm. try to kill people with kindness to, yeah. to explain what I'm trying to do. And I'm not there to um, show them up as a bad player or whatever it is. I'm just trying to get the best out of the song. And I've been asked to be there. I mean, mm. paid to be there. They're paying me to be there whether yeah. they like it or not. And so I'm there to like serve them and the song. Yeah. Um, and how can we do that? And then usually it. they go at, and then usually they go, actually, I'm being a bit of a dick. I'm sorry. You know <laughs> well, what I, I mean? Think, but you, well, absolutely. you have and I to think, really coax people sometimes. And I think just the fact that, you know, that these are ego-based things yeah. that you're talking about and just yeah. the fact that you are the person that has to bring that um, to the forefront and to the attention of everyone yes. is, is just something that's really uncomfortable to, to, to one, to have to do, but two, for them to have to hear that they're doing that sort of thing. And so yeah. it's just one of the things that we sometimes have to do, <laughs> unfortunately. It's just and like, that's, hey, and that's we just why want the I, best out of this, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and that's why I try never to do it in front of the rest of the band is yep. call someone out on their shitty behaviour because then people get really defensive. Mm. Whereas if you take people aside and you say, this isn't working, you know, how can we fix it basically? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love it. Hey, thanks so much for listening so far. There is plenty more to come, so don't go anywhere. I just wanted to let you know that this podcast is made completely independently by myself with no sponsors. So if you like what you hear and you would like to show your support, you can send a donation to the PayPal link 
paypal.me slash what's that sound. The link is also in the show notes. Thanks so much for your support and let's get back to it. And so, you know, when you're, you know, working in these sessions and you're working with these different people and having to navigate different sessions, I guess, you know, what are some of the, you know, go to, I guess, uh, I, I hate using the word hacks, but are there any sort of like, you know, shortcut approaches to being like getting the best out of people or, you know, choosing the right gear or, you know, you know, setting the right scene, any of these sorts of things that, you know, you have go-to ways of going about or anything like that? Um, I don't really know. I, uh, someone once told me, a singer once told me that I was um, like they've done a lot of recording before and I was the first person who actually like went into the booth before them and set it up like how how I would want it if mm. I was a singer, like with yep. water and tissues and, yeah. you know, all that kind of rubbish. So like just I think just really paying attention to people's needs is like like on a basic human level, not on like a I'm an audio nerd, let's talk about the microphone I'm going to choose for you level, like because they don't care about yeah, that. Yeah, they yeah. really just, they, they, they're they yeah. singers. They want to feel good singing. Um Mm. You know, you do occasionally mm. get an artist or someone in the band who wants to talk to you about microphones, but it's pretty rare. Um, so I, I don't know. I guess I just try to preempt people's wants and needs in the studio, and that would be my shortcut, like for yeah. making uh, a happy, happy session. And it's a great point. And yeah. it's like, yeah, you, your point about people not actually caring about gear as much, you know, there there can be audio nerds that love music and love music instruments and gear and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, us as producers and engineers is about capturing the best performance from that person. And so right. you're right. It's about it's about providing that environment for them and and just yeah, getting them as comfortable as possible, which is what we've been talking about for the last 20 yeah. minutes, I reckon. So yeah. Yeah. And I think it's like, you know, it's that thing of like if you had to choose on a session between, you know, um, putting a microphone near an acoustic guitar where it sounds best or where it's best for the player, you mm. have to choose where it's best for the player because they have to be comfortable. You, ha- you have to get the best performance and yeah. if you've got a mic near it, then that's good. Absolutely. And half of us started with like some of the shittiest gear that exists and we've still create- yeah. created something that means something to us and means something to the people that we work with. So that's how yeah. I kind of look at it anyway. And you um, always get those records. You always get those records that poke through, and they're like, "Oh, it was recorded in a, you know, like a fucking shed with no electricity 100%. or something." And you're like, "Oh, great, 100%. you know, good yeah. for them." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah. Now, another reason um, why I got you on the podcast was to discuss MPEG mm. um, and, yep. you, you know, so you've started MPEG obviously with, with a few mm-hmm. other colleagues, um, you know, helping you alongside that. But tell us about what prompted you to begin it and also just what it is. So um, MPEG is the Music Producer and Engineers Guild of Australia or MPEG as we like to 
call it for short, or as I often refer to it, the guild. <laughs> um, and when, so when I used to work in the UK, we had, a, there was a guild, there was the, the UK MPG. Um, and then when I came back to Australia, there wasn't one. And I always, I always in the back of my mind was like, why don't we have a guild? Someone's going to start a mm. guild soon. We're going to have a guild soon, you yeah. know, <laughs> yeah. and it just never happened. Yeah. And then, um, and then COVID happened. And there was just such a lack of mm. information about if we could work, where, what the conditions were around working, were we included in the musicians thing, were we a technician, are we essential? You know, there was just so many questions and it was literally just a bunch of people asking the question on social media about, can I work? And I thought we really needed some direction or someone to advocate for us. And I was like, mm. someone's going to do it. Someone's going to do it. And no one did it. <laughs> and then, um, and then um, my manager, Kath Harity, um, is, uh, is um, she, she's like pretty, you know, uh, she's one of the AAM, so the Association of Artist Managers people. Mm. Um was often getting invited to these roundtable discussions in the music industry about what we were, what the hell we were going to do, mm. basically. Mm. And and Dean Ormston from APRA AMCOS um, both came to me and said, no one's discussing producers. Mm. Actually, I think I went to them and said, what the hell yeah, what are we going to do no one yeah. you know can you can you mention us in these in these meetings that you're going to and then they came back and they said um actually would you like to sit at the table and represent producers and i was like well absolutely i would but i really need to ask some other producers like what their experience is like what's happening mm -hmm. for them how they're going, what they need and all that. So that's what I did. I started emailing a few guys I knew like around the country, not just people because I was in Melbourne, which was like hectic, mm. but I was emailing people, you know, in Darwin and Perth and Queensland and asking them what their experiences were and some of them were much better than others. And I took those, I took those answers to me, with, with me to these meetings. And I just basically, if I hadn't been there, producers and engineers would not have been mentioned at all mm. in discussing mm. how the music industry was going to be supported. Mm. And so I was just so grateful for that. And I thought when COVID finished, well, you know, it wasn't even when COVID finished. It was just like, I just thought we need a guild. This is the mm. time. Yeah. yeah. And so, well, so I Googled constitution and I, <laughs> and I worked out how to set up an organization and I put some money into it to start it. And here we are. And we're over a year later and we've done some really cool things. Yeah. Well, um, on, on behalf of yeah. all the uh, producers and engineers, thank you. Um, and uh, yeah. I, mean, I know it's, no. uh, it hasn't been easy and I've, uh, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a hawk on social media and I saw, I, I think it was the first, po first post that you did about it because um, I was al mm. already following you on socials and, um, and I was yeah. just like straight away I was like, finally, I was like, this has needed to happen because yeah like you said we're just not represented we're just not in the yeah. conversation and apart no. from that you know just having an organization like this to be able to have as a 
not only a social thing, but more formally a way to discuss with other people, like-minded people, people in the business, people that do what we do, um, yeah. is just a great little uh, like in-person forum thing to, to be able to discuss all the stuff that I talk about on this podcast, um, you know, and, yeah. in an actual multiple people scenario. So thank you. Yeah, no, no, no problem. I mean, it, it is, it is a lot of work and that's the only reason why it's difficult. The actual work and the purpose is mm. not hard at all. It's easy. Like mm. it's, it, it's amazing. It's just a lot of it. And when you're trying to like, you know, um, make mm. actual records, and be a parent and do all the other things that we have to do in life. Um, mm. It's a lot, but so that's why we started. Um, I, you know, I set up a board so there are other mm -hmm. members that can yep. advise. And so Kath Harity was one of the original. She's my manager as a producer, but also she's um, a producer manager. So she has a lot of experience and has been on many boards mm -hmm. before and represented and looked after a lot of organisations. She's the CEO of the Australian Music Centre. And then Tom mm -hmm. Larkin, who is also a producer but um, programs Big Sound these days and is a uh maybe not a producer manager, but an artist manager and has a lot of experience. Yep. Um, and then other board members, you know, we've got Eric J. Dabowski, we've got Zylo Aria, who not only is a producer and runs music production for women, she's also a chartered accountant and we needed a treasurer. And so she was a natural person for that role. Um, yep. Millie she's Petriella, been on this yeah, yeah. So Millie Petriella, yep. who spent many, many years at APRA AMCOS, so a membership organisation. I thought that would be a really great person. Um, yep. And, yeah, so we're just um, – and then, you know, we have Alice Ivy, who's this amazing trailblazing producer as well. Um, yep. So it's such a good team and so many different mm. – um, different angles like whenever you bring mm -hmm. up issues there's so many different opinions from different mm -hmm. areas of the industry and that's it's a really really good team yeah, um but we rely pretty heavily on members to volunteer their time to do like just little things for us just so that i don't have to do everything myself yep um yeah and then and then more recently we um, conducted the first ever survey of music producers and engineers in australia yeah which like, cause what happened was we were like, well, what do we, what do we, there's so many things we could do. Mm. What should the guild be doing? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And we were like, well, we need to ask the members. Yeah. Um, and so we, we worked together with Magoo, uh, Lachlan Gould, yep. who's a, obviously like a legendary producer yep. engineer in this country. He's also now an academic. So he helped us to formulate the questions yep. and the actual survey. And then once it was done, he helped us to distill that into like findings. And um, wow, some of the findings, yeah, pretty unreal. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah. I've, I've written some some key points here. Well, uh, first of all, there was 106 members that responded to the survey. Um, yeah, 30 percent, 31 percent of which uh, state themselves as being underemployed. Um, 16% mm -hmm. of which say they work more than 60 hours per week. Um, mm -hmm. There's a lack of diversity. 85.8% have identified as male, 11.3% as female and 1.9% as non-binary. Uh, mm -hmm. Nobody specifically stated identifying as Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander. 
mm-hmm. and 50% of people work for free at times. Um, mm-hmm. So these are some of the kind of negative I would not neg- uh, yeah n- maybe negative uh, things that have, have popped up yeah absolutely and mm, so yeah. you know it's it's pretty eye opening to to see some of these percentages um, and hoping moving forward that some of this starts to shift purely based on uh, you know awareness of of these facts and so and people mm-hmm. discussing it and us having conversations like we are now so. Yeah, yeah. T- and talk us through kind of some of the conversations that the, you know, maybe the board's been having or. Yeah, so we, it was funny because, you know, I hope I hope she won't mind me saying like when we first got the findings and we all individually read through it and then we got together for a board meeting and um, Annika, so Alice Ivy said, oh, my God, I almost burst into mm-hmm. tears when mm-hmm. I read some of this because. Not only is a lot of it negative, and I, I didn't expect it to be so negative, mm-hmm. but um, she she felt very seen, and I think that's so important that um, because we all, I think we all have this thing where we we love our job so much, and we don't want to say to people that we don't like our job or there mm. are negative things about our job because we all love it so mm. much. Otherwise, we wouldn't do it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's yeah. the long and short of it. Um. But we do sort of struggle in silence a little bit with some of these issues, um, you know, about not being recognised properly, not being remunerated properly and not being given the credit that we deserve. And um, And so it sort of felt like for the first time people were like discussing it in public a little bit Mm. and -hmm. and it was okay Mm -hmm. to do that. Um, Yeah. Well, so, I wrote that that other yeah. related to credits is that less than 50% of people claim that they're not getting credited collect correctly, uh, which is, mm. a, it's just a, like, I think it was 47%. So that's a crazy number yeah, of people right. that feel like they're getting credited correctly. It's like mm. just ridiculous. Yeah. I, yeah. yeah. I thought that, I thought that was Magoo maybe trying to put a positive spin on it <laughs> saying 47% feel they're credited correctly. And I was yeah. like, hang on, doesn't that mean 53% feel <laughs> yeah. like they're not credited properly? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's crazy. Um, so. Yeah, so it's um it's a it's a whole thing, but basically yeah, yeah, yeah. now that we have this knowledge, information is power, and now that we have this knowledge, we're able to tailor the response, the guild's response to what we need to advocate for for producers. And mm-hmm. so um in our strategic plan, it will be based upon the answers from this survey. And I think um a couple of the things that you know, jumped out to me as well, apart from the things that I've already mentioned, which are crazy, but, um, I think the education around how for, how we need to conduct ourselves in general or how we need to, the things that we need to pay attention to such as, uh, reporting sick pay and super and, you know, Mm -hmm hours and how many, you know, how long we spend in a session, all of these things that tend to go, you know, we take for granted in other jobs 
because we're allocated these yeah. hours, right? In whether you work in retail or something like that, it's like, okay, you're working an eight hour shift, you get this amount of breaks, you paid this amount of money, it gets put into your super, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas in our jobs, when we're working for ourselves, when we're freelancers, we just don't think about these things unless we actually do, unless we put time aside, you know, once a month because or we don't, weekly or Because we don't often. have time. Yeah. Yeah. We spend, yeah. we and just so, spend so much time doing the music that we don't, um, yeah, we don't put time aside. We don't, yep. we don't always run ourselves properly like a business. And I think mm-hmm. that's real for a lot of freelancers in general and not just in our industry. But we, if we can start to educate ourselves about best practice, business Mm -hmm. practices and stuff like that, having upskilling workshops and things like that to teach people how to manage their tax. Like I think it was something like 24% of people are struggling with their tax. Um, you know, like even just the things that we can help with, mm-hmm. um, we we just need to do it as our as a co- as a community of people. We need to look after each other, and because mental health statistics are pretty dire as well mm. from this survey, um, you know, there are small things that we can do to help people stay on top of their business obligations, which will mm-hmm. ease ease mm-hmm. the burden. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's something that I've been uh, very mindful of while doing this podcast is to try and let people talk about those sorts of things when, when they're on the podcast, if they naturally go towards talking about those mental health issues or whether it's money or mm. anything like that, it's important for me to, to let people talk about that and for me to bring it up as well, because, you know, we have access to a lot of information these days. A lot of it though, isn't, Australia related and it's also mm. just not our industry related and so it's not our industry related and yeah and so you know I've I've gained a lot of things from international podcasts and you know YouTube and stuff like that where people do talk about you know taking the time on you know, spending time on your business, spending time on setting yourself up correctly and all that sort of stuff. So I've tailored that in my workplace, but I know that if it's not thought about, then it just gets pushed to Mm. the side. So it's absolutely Mm. important that we do discuss these sorts of things. And like you said, you know, create workshops and stuff like that, that can help people get off on the, on the, on a better foot so that they don't quit music Mm. (laughs) because that's ultimately what it can lead to. That is that is what it leads to, and I have to say that's what it leads to when we want to talk about diversity, that's what it leads to for particularly minorities and people like, you know, slightly diverse of the white middle-aged white male, which yeah. Magoo wrote was the, um, the most identified like sort of statistic in our, mm. Um, mm. In our group. So, um yeah, we just have we just have so much work to do within our own um, community, but so much of it comes down to basic education amongst ourselves, but also like educating people in the industry about who we are and what we bloody do. Yeah. Like people don't even know; they do not understand what the difference is between an engineer and a mixer. Mm. You know, yep. um, which to us, which to us seems super super basic, but to a new young A and R that's just joined, you know, a major label or whatever, they don't know. 
They actually mm-hmm. just don't know. And we yeah. need to be the ones to educate them so that when they're writing the metadata for these releases, they get the credits mm-hmm. right so that then people yeah. feel validated, they feel looked after, and mental health statistics go up. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's all mm-hmm. related. It's an ecosystem and we have to educate people about that. Yeah. And actually I I have just put together some worksheets that are going up on the website soon in the resources section. So people will be circulating them in the industry um, and amongst ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, I mean, I Mm -hmm. love, I love that this exists. It's uh, as soon as I heard about it and I've tried to be in every uh, you know, Zoom that you've had and, you know, unfortunately yeah. I can't make it tomorrow night. I'm spewing. Um, but no! Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm shattered. But, um, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I'm very excited to see. I was very excited as soon as I heard about it. I'm very excited to see how, how it progresses and obviously if there's anything that I can do to help, I will absolutely do it. Um, but yeah, yeah, thank guess, you. And, uh, like, it's always great to see your face in the – because we have monthly control room meetings, Zoom meetings, where we catch up and talk about all manner of things. It's all always good to see you there and to see the variety of people that turn up so yeah people like drop in people are making dinner while they're on it people are caring for young children (laughs) while they're on it it's just about it's just about knowing that you're not alone and um we all have shared issues and we can just chat about them and it's it's really great and we are like you just mentioned we are having some in-person events coming up so um in sydney and melbourne at the moment but we will be We've already had one in Perth and one in Queensland, but we will be having more um, just to create this community amongst these amazingly talented people. That was the thing. Like the survey did come across quite negative, but some of the really positives Mm. for me was like the amount of skill that we all have, um, Mm. the diversity in skills. Amazing, amazing. And makes me really proud to be part of it actually. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so for people that are hearing about this for the first time, what do they need to do to to join up? Yeah. So it's at the moment it's free because we're just trying to work out who our people are. Um, So if you go to mpeg.org.au, um, there's links everywhere on the website to apply to be a member. So the only thing you need to be a member is to have three credits on, um, on releases. And if you don't quite meet that requirement yet, so if you're a student or an intern, um, you can sign up as a student or an intern. And all it means is that you don't get voting rights, but you, uh, you get to hear about all the events, you get all the resources. Um, it's just about making sure that, the voting rights are given to the people who actually have done the work. Yep. Fantastic stuff. Um, well, we yeah. might start to wrap it up. So what one of the mm-hmm. um, things that I like to do before we, we finish up is to ask for your, you know, key bits of advice for people that are maybe young in the game um, apart mm-hmm. from joining MPEG so that they can get more information. Um, yeah. <laughs> first of all, producers and engineers, and then secondly, for any artists that might be listening. So advice for people who yeah. are coming up? Well, I would say to people who want to get into production or engineering, um, be the first person to arrive in the morning and the last person to leave and leave your ego at the door and um do what's best for the song love it always yep yeah 
Um, and to any artists, I would say um, try to have an idea of what you want and try to explain it to a producer the best that you can. And if you don't feel like they're hearing you or understanding you, don't be afraid to ex- to say that to them. Um, yeah. Don't just go with other people's vision, like hold on to your vision and um, just, you know, stand your ground basically on what you want. I love it. And, yeah. and you know, the, the responsibility that we have in that scenario is to be really good with communication to try and understand yes. the artist and what they're trying to tell us or, you know, the vision that they're trying to paint for us. But like you said, it is yeah. important that the artist has some sort of a uh, ability to, you know, explain in, in somewhat, you know, production-y terms, I guess. Um, but it's, it's about upskilling. Yeah. It's about an, a clear communication path so that you can both meet in the middle. I think something that gets overlooked sometimes is like when, so say an artist is explaining something to you about what they want and you're thinking, you're going, this isn't, this, I know this isn't going to work because of the experience that I have. I know it's not going to work. Don't just shut them down. You need mm. to explain why it's not going to work because Otherwise, they just feel like you're not listening. Um, so, mm-hmm, yeah. and the other thing you could do is just try their idea and then it won't work and then you all move yeah. on with your lives. But at least they got to try <laughs> it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I love it. Well, yeah. um, thank you so much uh, for, for joining me today. This has been unreal. Um, I will have all of Thanks the links in um, the show notes. Um, but where mm-hmm. can people find you if they want to get in touch with you? Uh, how can they reach out to you or how can they find you online or anything like that? Um, well, if you want to just have a little look at some stuff that I've done or whatever, you can go to the website, which is just analavity.com. Um, but if you want to reach out to me, my management is Catherine Harity Management. So they also have websites and, um, yeah, you can find me on all the social medias. Actually, not all of them. You can find me on Instagram. It's <laughs> pretty much it, yep. and Twitter. Yeah. I think, but I don't. I don't use Twitter so much anymore. Um, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well, again, thank you, Anna, for for joining me today. It's been awesome. And uh, thank you to anyone that has checked this out and uh, stayed this long. Uh, We appreciate it. Um, It means so much. Um, If you could do us a favor and share this on your social media, uh, in a chat, in a DM, on your stories, wherever you like, it just helps us spread the word to as many people um, as possible. Um, Make sure you're hitting follow or subscribe on your podcast platform that you're checking this out on and send us an email if you have any suggestions or questions. Uh, The link's in the show notes. Um, It's all available there and we will see you next time on What's That Sound podcast. Thanks for listening to What's That Sound. Make sure you hit follow or subscribe on your podcast platform to stay up to date with each new episode. We'll catch you next time.